All right. Um, we're here. If can you if if you were to run a race and uh at the end of the race you're famished and super thirsty and you had an opportunity to drink from a couple vessels. One is a shiny um silver sparkling um vessel cup on the outside, uh, but the inside it's a little dirty. You know, hasn't been cleaned really well. And then there's also a styrofoam cup that's beaten up, has holes in it. Uh, but on the inside, it's super clean. Which one would you drink out of? Okay. <laughs> that's a given. It's the styrofoam cup, right? Because it's clean on the inside. Um, and that's the same thing as far as the Lord. He chooses to use different vessels, whether they're shiny, whether they're beaten up. But the key thing is to make sure that the inside is truly clean. Uh, if we look at what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.20, he says this. He says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of, of gold and silver. If you can imagine being in a house where you have a big vase with flowers sticking out as being the centerpiece of the house. <clears throat> but also of wood and clay. You know, a trash can is basically a vessel, right? Um, but some of them are for honorable use. Some of them are for dishonorable. Verse 21 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself for what is dishonorable, he will be a, a vessel of honorable use, set apart as holy, useful, that's the key, to the master of the house, ready for every uh, work. And it's not just every work for church every work, in every aspect of your life. So the topic for today is being an honorable vessel, uh, being useful for the master. Um, <clears throat> are you a useful vessel for the master? Um, and what matters, of course, is being clean on the inside. First John tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to, of our sins, of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Allow us pray. Allow us to pray. Father, thank you so much, God, for reminding us that we are vessels. And I don't know about those that are here in the audience. Um, we use vessels all the time cups in our workplaces we even use tools whether it's a handsaw uh, whether it's a laptop we all use tools and how important it is for the tool uh, to be reliable so that the master could use it and that's the same with us whether our sawzall is dusty on the outside we want to make sure when we turn it on that it works we want God, we want you, Father, to continue to cleanse us from the inside, from our unrighteousness. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Judges. Just a, a quick show of hands here. Who here has read the entire book of Judges? Anyone? Okay. Cool handful, I'd say about 50%, which is good. And the what we're going to look as far as tying in the vessels, there are four types of vessels that uh, Judges chapter 4 discuss. 
there's the vessels of disobedience. There's a vessel of uh, a mighty vessel. There's a weak vessel. And then there's an unlikely vessel. So I'll be going through all four of those types and provide some encouragement as well as some exhortation at the very end. So turn with me to um, Judges chapter 4. A little bit of background here. And the wind's coming from so many different directions, man. It's all good. Just a little background about Judges. There is abs- there's, we don't know for sure who the author is. And you want to put things in proper context and you want to look at the book before that. The book before that is Joshua. And as you know, Joshua was a, a, a leader that followed after Moses. And the, the sum of Joshua was a book of victory. He obeyed and there was victory. He obeyed and there was victory. I know Charles Stanley has said, be obedient and leave the results up to him. Um, and that's exactly what Joshua did. If you look at the book post uh, Judges, it's Ruth. And the, the, the heart of the message of Ruth is redemption. So when we look at this book of Judges, what we'll find is uh, a book of, catch this, consistently inconsistent. Almost like the dark ages, sort of like 2020 was. It was the book of uh, human conditions. And it expanded for over 40, 400 plus years. Just a side note as we read through this book, and we're going to read the entire chapter. Now, you'll have to excuse me because I, I will be skipping some of the names and the locations as well as some of the repetitive words that are in here for kind of for <laughs> for myself because sometimes I, I stutter through it and I don't want you to start to like, what what is he saying? And you start to go, today, Junior, because I'm struggling through a certain king's name or place or location. You okay with that? I want to focus on the vessel. The vessel, vessel, vessel is the key things. And there's four vessels that we'll be looking at. There is the um, people of Israel. There is Deborah. There is uh, Barak. Barak. And then there is uh, Jael. So we'll be looking at those four different vessels. All right. Let's jump into it. And the people, verse 1 says, and the people of Israel again. Uh, when you say the word again, it's repeated. There's some sort of cycle that's going on. And we're encouraged to study different patterns. Okay, so there's a pattern. There's a cycle that's going on in the book of Judges. And that cycle is simple. It's the, it's the people of Israel being tempted by sin. And then they succumb to sin or yield to sin. And then... Um, they are, they're enslaved by sin by their oppressors like Jabin as well as Sisera, who are the bad actors here. And then they cried out to God. Um, and then they were delivered in this particular case by Deborah. Okay. So in the people, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. 
that statement, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord is repeated seven times in this book. Another verse that is also repeated a couple times is a verse that says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. And this is these two verses kind of work like a hand and glove. Because if you really think about it, if we did evil in the sight of the Lord, why is that? Is because we thought we, because we chose to do what's right in our own eyes. And that's kind of the danger of kind of relative truth. And where we have a tendency or the, the culture has a tendency to move away from God's standards of good and evil. And starts to rely on their own standards of right and wrong. Isaiah tells us, woe to those who call evil good. I was reading an article through Epic Times, and it was talking, the, the headline was this, high school, a high school valedictorian speech censored for being, quote, very Christianized. In Michigan High School, John Glenn High School specifically, Savannah Lefner, uh, the, uh, she wrote, I'll, I'll kind of, I printed it out, it's actually kind of cool. She wrote in her um, speech, she says, the purpose of life, a life, the, the purpose of life is to live a life devoted to Christ. Quoting Westminster Catechism number one, the chief purpose for which man is made is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. When she submitted this speech, before she gave it, she was called out. And she was called out because the principals, the, the, the school district was um, discouraging her for sharing this truth because in their minds, that wasn't the truth. I have the article here if you want to read it. It's actually kind of telling. Plus, it's less paper on my... That's where I brought the mallet. Great paperweight, I'm telling you. All right. I was not expecting this wind, but hey, we work with it. All right. So let's continue. And the people of, uh, verse 1 again, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them, uh, the people of Israel, into the hands of Javan, king of Canaan. The commander of his army was Sisera. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Or, um, for he, Sisera, had 900 chariots of iron and Sisera oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So, we were talking about a certain cycle. And when we look at this particular scripture, or if you see the pattern of judges, it's not just like a cycle like a top. It's a downward cycle like a toilet. What do I mean by that? If you look at some of the leaders that led, that led uh, the people of Israel as judges, you start to see uh, the character flaws in them. First of all, when you see the word judges, a lot of times we think of a person in a black robe sitting behind 
a oak desk. I don't know why my voice got deeper, but, um, but have, having a, a mallet, boom, guilty, not guilty. Get that out of your mind here. Judges is talking about being a deliverer. If you could even think of almost like a superhero for those that are into Marvel comics, but they have some character flaws like Loki. Oh, sorry. Not to promote that at all. <clears throat> Thanks, Annie, for laughing. Appreciate it. Uh, anyways, uh, the first judge is in chapter two. It talks about Othniel, who was, who, who the spirit of the Lord was upon and he helped, he helped defeat the enemies. And then there's 40 years of peace. After that was another judge God raised by the name of Ehud. I shared a message upstairs about Ehud, how he slain King Eglon, who was a big fat, um, king, and he put the sword in him and the dirt went out, so to speak. It's actually a cool study. But after Ehud, there was 80 years of peace. You see the pattern? And then there's Shamgard, one verse at the end of chapter, uh, three, uh, uh, and it talks about, uh, him using an ox guard, which is an eight foot pole, uh, to help discipline different oxes. He was a farmer, for crying out loud, but he killed 600 people with an eight foot pole. That's impressive. And then, uh, we'll be talking about Deborah. So these were good judges, good vessels. And then we look at the, eh, meh, judges like Gideon. Okay, you may be thinking, oh, Gideon, he was fire, man. He took 300 people and defeated so many, thousands. And yes, that's true, but read the end of it. He also had a temperature. I mean, he was, he was, he had, he had anger issues. And then, uh, it, it goes, it gets a little worse. Uh, there's another judge by the name of, um, Japheth, who was mighty. He was a mighty warrior, won many battles, but unfortunately, he made a vow about sacrificing his daughter. And then uh, probably the worst of them all is actually Samson, who started great, but um, got deceived by Delilah. He didn't put himself in the best position, if you know what I'm saying. You know the story, right? He was morally compromised. And these vessels, these judges, these deliverers look less like God uh, and more like their enemy. Unknowingly, they drifted away from God. So the people of Israel started to decline and become mess vessels of dishonor. The encouragement for, for those that are disobedient vessels is to repent. If you notice here, it says crying out. Crying out does not mean repent. Repent means to change directions, to change one's mind. That is what God is looking for. The second vessel that we'll be looking is the mighty vessel, verses seven through, verses four through seven, Deborah. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of, uh, Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So this gives you a quick description of who Deborah is. She was a prophetess. 
Her and Samuel are the only two that were prophets as well as judges. So a, a prophet, of course, is to foretell God's truth, sometimes even tell about the future, which we'll see in a second. She was also a judge, uh, as someone that actually discerned. She had good godly discernment. She had insights from God. She was also considered a wife. I mean, she is a go-getter. Her name means be. You know, she was a workhorse, but packed a sting. You know, even though she was a leader and a go-getter, she is identified as a wife, as a weak, weaker vessel, as Scripture tells us. And in chapter 5, it, it tells us that she was a mother of Israel and a songwriter. She did it all, man. <laughs> she was a busy bee, you know. And as we'll see shortly, she was also a warrior. So she's, what? She did it all. Just like most moms here at this church. <clears throat> so, verse 6, and Deborah sent, uh, sent and summoned Barak and said to Barak, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, command you, Barak, go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I, God, will draw out Sisera to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hands. Deborah knew enough to be able to give props to Barak by actually giving him credit, an opportunity to get the credit, to empower by telling him the truth, empowering others, so critical for a good leader. So my advice to you, exhortation, encouragement, whatever, is for a mighty vessel to stay humble. I know you're tired. Scripture tells us, do not grow weary while doing good. That is something that we could be encouraged on. The third type of vessel is a weak vessel, and that's Barak. Uh, verses, verses 8 through 16. And Barak left Deborah. And <clears throat> I'm sorry. Barak said to Deborah, if you, Deborah, will go with me, then I will go. But if you don't go with me, I will not go. And Deborah said, really? And Deborah said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road of which um, you are going will not lead you to your glory. In other words, you're going to have, you're going to be a person of less honor or dishonorable. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Deborah was prophesying about a woman taking out Sisera, and this was not Deborah. That's going to do it. Then Deborah arose, Deborah arose and went with Barak, and Barak called out men who went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now, verse 11 is almost like a commercial break, okay, um, in a simplest matter. But it also foretells the future of the next vessel. Now, Heber... The Canaanite had separated, that's a key word I want you to remember towards the end, had separated from the Canaanites, the descendants of Hobab, 
the 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 father-in-law of Moses and had pitched and had pitched his tent as far away. When Sisera was told about Barak, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, nine hundred chariots of iron. That is sort of like a tank, okay? Nine hundred chariots of iron. In fact, um, just so that you can understand culturally, the nation of Israel, they haven't even discovered and used iron weapons. So they were even a step behind in technology in that sense. They were still in the Bronze Age. If you're familiar with metal, bronze is a softer metal than iron. So it's sort of like... Um, Cowboys and Indians, so to speak. One has gunpowder and guns, and the other one has bows and arrows. I like bows and arrows. So 900 chariots of iron and all the men who were with him. And Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Chapter five talks about what is, what is the, what, how did God give, um, Barak, um, comfort that he was in it. He says that he brought down rain. And in this area of Mount Tabor, it's where they, uh, had, where they plan on having Armageddon. It's a flat surface. So if it does rain, if you're bringing tanks in there, it's no good. It's going to be of no use. So that's how God kind of intervened in that sense. So the Lord had given Sisera into your hands. Does the Lord uh, go out before you? So Barak, Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and, and the army. And the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. So yes, Barak was a weak vessel who was um, filled with fear. And he needed a Deborah. But at least he got up despite his fear. You know what I'm saying? He did not complete the job, but he was trending up. And if you look at it in an eternal perspective, if you read through uh, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews, guess whose name is there? Barak, who defeated the the Sisera's army. So if you are a weaker vessel, and it's hard to fess up to that, you need to get up despite your fears because God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and a sound mind. Get up. Which leads us to our final vessel, the unlikely vessel, JL. <clears throat> you like this one, if this is the first time you've heard it. <clears throat> but Sesra fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, for there was peace between Jabin and the king of Hazor and the house of Heber. <clears throat> Heber was loosely aligned with the Canaanites of Hazor. 
who also oppressed, obviously, the, the Israelites. Although this clan was descendants of Moses. But remember, I told you in verse 11 to remember that word separate. This particular family was separate despite the descendants uh, that, that, that was grown up to, but despite traditions. Separate means to set apart, or another word, holy. God was working even in that sense, where he was separating this particular family to do a certain thing, being a useful, um, uh, being a useful vessel in the master's hands. Verse 18. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, which means master, turn aside to me. Uh, do not be afraid. And Sisera turned aside to Jaela, Jael and into the tent, and she covered Sisera with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a drink of water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened up a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. A skin of milk? Man, if you're running for your life, that's the last thing you want to drink, isn't it? Now, remember, it's in the desert. And I know when I was a kid, I used to drink warm milk because I was kind of hyperactive. But my, my, my mom would force feed me that so that I could go to bed at night. I think that's why I'm still lactose intolerant. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> But understand, this was not just warm milk. It was almost like cottage cheese. Okay? But he was so thirsty, because gimme, I'm thirsty. I want to drink. And this milk, if you read through scriptures, it also talks about um, <clears throat> that milk kind of gives us the simple truths to understand. First Peter tells us, catch this, like milk, that you may grow up into salvation. So a lot of times when you read through that really quickly, like, oh, milk is for babies. Milk is for those new believers that are uh, that haven't known salvation. No, it says like, and it's talking to you. Listen, milk is not just for babes. It's to remind seasoned Season Christians to not forget the simplicity of the word. Amen? Verse 20. And Sisera said to stand up at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, if anyone says, uh, if, 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 is anyone here, say no. But Jael um, took a tent. Stop there. Culture-wise, women were the ones that set up tents. Um, so Jael was very familiar with the different tools to set up for tents. Remember, it's super windy in the desert. Um, <clears throat> I heard uh, Charles Spurgeon gave a similar study on this scripture, and it talked about that uh, the, the sermon is called Sin Slain. And he talks about that King Jabin is kind of a type of Satan. And Sisra is a type of the flesh or of the sin, kind of our old self. 
And as you'll start to see, it makes total sense because our old nature is like this old general Sisera. Look at verse 19. He says, give me a little drink of water for I'm thirsty. Our flesh tells us what to do all the time. It demands all the time. It's never enough. Verse 20, if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. Our sinful nature wants us to hide things, to lie, to so, to show that everything is good, to cover things up. This is what the Lord wants us to do. So Jael took a tent peg. And because it was so windy, those pegs had to be long. This is a cubit, which is about 18 inches. An 18-inch peg. <clears throat> because it needs to hold down from the, the winds, of course. Now understand, someone that is familiar with putting up tents, um, they, they understand, they know the ins and outs of, of, of a peg. They've studied it. You know, if you ask me, a city slicker, to put up a tent, I'd be tapping it, beep, 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 beep. It'd take me forever. But JL, she'd take a wa-boom, and boom, stuck it in. It's sort of like those that are lumberjacks. I don't know how they do that. You know, they, they put the split right there, and they just take one swing, bam. And it's not necessarily the strength. It's what, it's, it's the knowledge and the experience of being familiar what to hit, when to hit it, and what angle to hit. So she took a, a tent peg and took a hammer. A mallet, a hammer. And she was also familiar with this. She knew that holding the back of it, you get more leverage. Holding the front of it, you get less, but you get more accuracy. She knew firsthand because she put up tent after tent after tent. But she knew this. Why am I saying this? Why am I emphasizing on this? Because Jeremiah 23, 29 says, My word is a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. My question to you, have you read the entire Bible? How long have you been a Christian? And you haven't read the entire Bible. Paul tells us you need to get the full counsel of God. The full counsel. Continuing, verse 21, it says, In her hand, and then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he, while he was fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet Barak and said to, and, and said, come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into the tent, and there lay Sisera dead with a tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin the king before the people of Israel, and the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin until they destroyed Jabin the king of Canaan. We have to understand that God gets all the credit here. Not Deborah, not Barak, 
not not even JL. If you read through this carefully, you'll notice that it is God is the one that is given. It is God is the one that routed. It is God is the one that subdued. They were just vessels to the master's hand. And the conclusion to that is Barak, although he defeated Sisera, which is a sign of sin in, in, in that sense, but Jael killed Sisera. The peg kind of represents the gospel. You don't need to sugarcoat the gospel, but it just takes one hit. The hammer represents the word that goes through and defeats our old self. When I see stories like this, I always ask, well, what, what's the purpose of this? Is it a myth? Is it true? What? And it's amazing how, how scripture kind of all ties together. There's usually a New Testament principle with an Old Testament application. If you could turn to Romans chapter 6 and you could see the New Testament application of this particular um, story. It was revolutionized for those that have that incons- consistently inconsistent like myself. Verse 6 says, For we know that our old self, Sisera, was crucified with him. Verse 5 says, United with him, with him, with Christ. That's who he's talking about. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 14 says, For sin, or Sisera, our old self, will not have dominion over you or power over you since you are not under law but under grace. So the encouragement for those that are the unlikely vessels, you have to be... If you can imagine, we each have... Anybody dog people here? You guys like dogs? Okay, cool. We got a pit bull ourselves. He gets buffed by sleeping. I don't know how that works, but I want I want that. <clears throat> And anyways, if you had two dogs, if you had a white dog and you had a black dog, the white represents your spirit, the black represents your flesh. The dog that will survive is the dog that you'll feed the most. The dog that will die is the one that you starve the most. My question to you, what dog are you feeding? At the end of Judges, 2125, it says, in those days there was no king, there was no hope in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Sort of what 2021 looks like. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, so to speak. But as believers, as Christians, listen, we have a king. And we should never forget that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this insight, God, of being an honorable vessel that we just want to be useful to you. It could be small, it could be major, but we just want to be clean. And the only way that we could be clean is through your son's blood. And we're thankful for that, God, how your son's blood has cleansed us from the inside 
out. Whether we're a vessel of disobedience that needs to repent, we do that now. Whether we're a vessel that's mighty, we need to stay humble. Whether we're a vessel of weak, of weakness, we need to get up and continue. Or whether we're an unlikely vessel, we need to be ready. So help us, Father, to be a honorable vessel so that we could be used in your hands here on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, since I'm up here, uh, we'll go into the, our time of communion. So underneath your seats, you are given a, um, a vessel <laughs> and a bread. And just thinking about this message as we come to the table, Jesus Christ was the perfect vessel, wasn't he? He was the ultimate cupbearer. Nehemiah says that uh, he is now a cupbearer in Nehemiah 1.11. A cupbearer, I started to think, is defined as um, one giving a drink. Uh, one of the highest ranking officials to the king has an intimate, a confidential relationship with the king. And a cupbearer has two duties. One is to serve the wine at the king's table, kind of as a humble servant, as Christ has done. And also is to guard against any type of poison that was added to the king's cup, requiring him to drink it prior to giving it to the king. Listen, Jesus Christ swallowed the poison of sin and death for you and for me so that we could approach the table. Let's take this moment to think, meditate, to pray as we partake the bread as we partake of the cup. And I'm just going to sit in silence and allow the Lord to minister to you for about 30 seconds, and then we'll partake it as a church family as we pray. So take the time just to stop and to think, and then we'll pray. Father, um, as we partake of the bread, Lord, it represents your son's body. And every crunch that we take it, it's a reminder, Father, of what you experience, your, your son has experienced on the cross. So I allow us, God, to partake together as a church family of your bread. Let's do that. last song.